Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, as you've heard, we are talking about uh, friendship uh, these Sundays at Portland Mennonite Church this fall. Last Sunday, I talked about being friends with God. Today, we'll talk about being friends with each other. And I'm not going to be here next week, but later, we'll talk about being friends with the world. Uh, There's a lot of literature out there these days about friendship. Uh, Essays, op-eds, articles, podcasts, books. But for all that's written, we don't really talk very much about our friendships. Not in the way that we talk about other relationships. Uh, We talk about our families, our familial relationships a lot. Uh, What are we going to do about Uncle Eddie at Thanksgiving? Um, Who's going to be invited to the wedding and what relatives are not going to be invited to the wedding? Um, What are we going to do now that mom broke her ankle and who's going to do what, right? We talk about work relationships a lot. We have annual reviews to talk about those relationships. Companies have whole HR departments to talk about those relationships. And if you're dating, if you're seeing someone romantically, there comes a point where you have to have the talk. Where's this going? Are we exclusive now? Are we going to take it to the next level? We don't talk about friendships in that way, do we? And that's what was so jarring uh, in the film, The Banshees of Insurance. Have anybody, has anyone seen that film? It's kind of an art house film. Got good reviews. I actually watched it on the plane coming back from Minocon in Kansas City this summer. Stars Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. They play two Irishmen who've been friends since their youth. They live in a small village on a small island in the Irish Sea set back in the 1920s, and every day in the afternoon, they go to the pub together, and then one day, one of the friends doesn't come. And so the other goes to check on him, and he's home, and he's fine. And he asks them, are you coming to the pub? And he says, no. And he says, why not? And he says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And it's, it, that's exactly, it's a jarring scene, because we just don't talk that way with their friends. I don't recall ever breaking up with a friend. We just sort of fade away or fade apart or we stop returning calls, right? Now, spoiler alert, if you're ever going to watch this film and don't want to know how it turns out, uh, cover your ears for a moment. Uh, the first part of the film is actually pretty funny. I think it actually gets listed under comedy. But ending a friendship isn't usually funny. And by the end, it's a drama. By the end, it's actually more of a tragedy. Friendship is different from our other relationships, the relationships we have with spouses or partners or parents or relatives or coworkers. Last week I mentioned a quote from C.S. Lewis. He calls friendship strictly unnecessary. It's voluntary. It's not because uh, someone gives birth to someone else. It's not because two people go down and get a marriage license. We choose to be friends. And because it's voluntary and because it's kind of vague, there can also be a little bit of a tendency for us to downplay friendships. They're not required, and so they can take on a sort of a no-worries quality. I was listening to a podcast uh, recently titled, What Do We Owe Our Friends? And the host was describing planning a dinner party, and she invited a dozen friends over. The invitation was sort of, come if you can, no worries if you can't. 
But she was also then left unsure how much food to buy because half of her friends might just flake and not show up, not call ahead, and not call after to explain themselves. And of course, life gets busy and other things come up, but there is a little bit of a tendency for us to downgrade friendship. Friendship can become a loose bond. We're living in a time when a lot of our connections to one another are loosening and fraying. Last week, I talked about the centrifugal forces that pull us away from one another. In this country, we are less connected than we used to be. We spend less time with each other in person than we used to. And so earlier this spring, the Surgeon General of the U.S. issued a report on the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in our culture. In a recent poll, 54% of Americans who were surveyed said that they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. 54%. And it's not just the U.S. It was, uh, I was, it was surprising to, to learn recently that in Britain, there's actually a post been established, the Minister of Loneliness. And the point is to help people make connections because loneliness can be deadly. They say the physical impact of loneliness or social isolation is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having six drinks a day. I've never had six drinks in a day, but that cannot be good for you. <laughs> social isolation dramatically increases the risk of heart disease and stroke and or developing dementia. That's worth talking about. Friendship is a centripetal force. It can help counteract those other forces that pull us away from each other. Friendship can bring us together, hold us together, hold us close. That's what we heard in the, in the ancient wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up the other. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's the enduring value of friendship in our lives. Now this morning, uh, since this is church and since I'm as a pastor, I want to talk particularly about friendship at church. In my experience, church friends are a little bit different. And it has to do with the nature of friendship itself. So I mentioned C.S. Lewis. This comes from his chapter on friendship in uh, The Four Loves. He makes an interesting observation. He writes that lovers stand face to face, staring into each other's eyes. But friends, friends stand side by side, staring at the things they both care about. So at church, when we stand side by side, what we see together is shaped by our faith in Jesus. Jesus who embodies the love of God, the deeply personal love of God of God for each of us, for every one of us. Love that's gracious enough to forgive our failings. Love that's strong enough to overcome our fears and our anxieties. Love that is persistent enough to stick with us, to stay with us, to not leave us, to not leave us alone. Jesus embodies the love of God that's deeply personal. And love that's powerful enough to change the way we live together, too and the way we live within creation. In the Gospels, Jesus calls this the kingdom of God. And in the stories of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, Jesus shows us what it looks like, right? He feeds people who are hungry and heals people 
who are ill. He breaks down barriers that exclude other people, and he calls them friends. And then he calls us to live together in that same way as friends. That's what Paul is writing about in Colossians when he admonishes the church. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. And above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in harmony. When we stand side by side at church, that's what we see in Jesus. That's the hope that we share. So church friends are a little bit different. It's a happy circumstance at church when you find people who want to go play golf with you or like to quilt together or uh, really enjoy playing wingspan on a Sunday night. Friends who like to talk baseball, although as a Giants fan, I don't really want to talk about baseball much right now. But trusting Jesus, following Jesus, necessarily widens the definition of friendship. Because when we're friends with Jesus, we are friends with the friend of the world. Jesus has a lot of friends, and they start to become our friends too. And sometimes they're surprising friends, they're unlikely friends. But that is how we are drawn into the kingdom of God, in what Martin Luther King calls the beloved community. And so this week, I've been thinking about some of the friends that I've made at church. I found myself thinking about Bert Kalinske. Bert sat right where Tim is sitting right now. And in front of Tim, there's a large print hymnal. And it's there because of Bert. And Bert died now a year and a half ago, and I still haven't taken it out of the, out of the pew because I like to remember Bert sitting right there. Bert was a little quirky. Bert was quick with a pun. He went to Cal, too, and so we would talk about Berkeley, or as he liked to call it, Berserkly. Bert also, though, had a very deep faith in Jesus and a deep commitment to do justice and to love mercy. You know, for 20 years now, we've shared this space with uh, Spanish-speaking Mennonite Church, and I've become friends with Pastor Samuel Moran. Uh, we went to Columbia one time. That was back in like 2008 already, uh, to visit a sister church down there. And over those years, I've had the privilege now of being parts of the marriages of four of his and Ophelia's children. Because I'm part of this church, I've become friends with some Palestinian Christians, both here in this country and in Israel and in Palestine. I've been the recipient of the warmth of their hospitality. I've also heard their stories about the oppressiveness of living under occupation. And I have seen the courage of their faith in the way of Jesus. Because I'm part of this church, I've also, through an interfaith group, become friends, became friends with uh, a Muslim imam in town, a, a Bosnian Muslim imam, Abdullah. Turns out that imams and pastors have a lot in common. And uh, through him and his, and his congregation, I understood more deeply what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the other thing I love about church is where else but here, where else but in a church, do people like us, people like me, I'm an older adult now, where else can we be friends with kids? Where else can we be friends with children? I love the energy. I love the uh, enthusiasm that they bring. You know, I think even if I wasn't sure what I believed, in fact, even if I was pretty sure I kind of didn't believe all this stuff, I think I would still come to church anyway just to be around kids, just to have their energy sort of infuse my life. Friendship is one of the practices that draws us into the beloved 
community. Friendship counteracts those other forces that pull us away, that pull us apart. Here's the thing, though. Those forces can impact the life of the church, too, those centrifugal forces, because that's just the way the world works now, right? When I was a kid, there was nothing else going on on Sunday mornings. There were a lot of stores that weren't open on Sunday mornings. There was nothing else going on on Wednesday nights. That's how old I am. That was still called church night. There was nothing planned at school. There were no sports events on Wednesday nights. That's just not the way it is anymore, right? I mean, on Sunday mornings, that's when the baseball fields are available. That's when the soccer teams can get out on the pitch. I mean, what's a parent to do, right? Life's full. It's busy. It's weary. A leisurely brunch on the weekend sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know, whenever I'm off on a Sunday, I very quickly understand why people don't come to church every Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to be off next Sunday, too. So. That's the way the world works these days, but it worries me as a pastor, right? Before the pandemic, it used to be that most of us at Portland Mennonite Church were in one place at one time on Sunday mornings. Truthfully, that's just not the way it is anymore. There are fewer of us. And so we function these days more as a dispersed network. We're just spread out a lot more. What makes me worry, though, is that a network is not necessarily a community. A network is not necessarily a community of Christ. Community requires a strong connection to a shared center. Every community has to have something distinctive, something at its center, something at its heart. Here, we say Jesus is the center of our faith. And community comes of strong connections to each other. That's why we're talking about friendship this fall. Friendship is a way to deepen our connection to Jesus and a way to deepen our connections to each other. Amidst all the other forces that pull us in all those other directions, friendship is a way to increase the density of our relationships to Jesus and to one another so that more and more we do become a community of friends of Jesus. And a community that's ready to welcome more friends. Not just welcome friends, but create a space where everyone who comes can belong. See, there's a difference between being in a church and belonging to a community. There's a difference between being in church. Let me say it this way. You can be in a church and still not feel like you belong to a church. Belong is to be seen and valued and heard, to be able to be your full self. Now, for some of us, that's pretty easy, and especially if you're part of the dominant culture. But if you're not, culture can be hard to crack, whether it's white culture or Mennonite culture. So I want to think that friendship is one of the ways for us to create a community where everyone can be made to feel that they Belong. Friendship is a way for those within dominant culture to see how, uh, how we make it hard for others to feel like they belong. And it's a way for us to be more, to more fully embrace and to be changed by our life together so that anyone, so that everyone can feel known and valued and be fully who God is creating them, creating us to be. So how do we make friends? Well, I said there's a lot of literature out there. There's a lot actually in the Atlantic. There's a woman there, Julie Beck, who's on their staff. 
She, over time, over the last several years, has interviewed hundreds of people, written extensively on friendship. And she summed up a lot of what she learned in an article titled The Six Forces That Fuel Friendship. And the six she identifies are accumulation, attention, intention, ritual, imagination, and grace. So accumulation. She writes, the simplest, most obvious force that forms and sustains friendship is time spent together. You just have to accumulate time together. The second force is attention. You have to be open, looking for friendships. The third force is intention. You have to be purposeful to sustain friendships. The fourth is ritual, because ritual helps bake friendships into the schedule, sometimes the very busy schedule of our lives. Fifth, she identifies imagination. Friendship can take a lot of forms. It can take you to a lot of places. You have to be ready to be surprised. And then the last is grace. We're all trying to do the best we can. So be gentle with each other. Be gentle with yourself. Now, what was interesting to me is the writer is not religious. She's actually very clear about that in the article. But the way she writes, it sounds an awful lot like small groups here at Portland Mennonite Church. One of the ways that we become friends is by becoming part of a small group here at Portland Mennonite Church. It's a way of being intentional. It's a way of baking it into our schedule. It's a way of spending time together. So in your bulletin today, there's, a, there's an announcement about the small group committee, and there's a QR code if you're interested in learning more, or in them, and having them help you find a small group. So small group learn, welcoming process, it's that one right there. Joan Steinecker, will you come up, Joan? Joan is part of the small groups committee, and I've asked her to come up and just uh, for a moment talk about her experience of being in a small group here at Portland Mennonite Church. Joan. Well, in the 49 years that Phil and I have been together, we've been in a lot of small groups, and they've all been very enriching in different ways, but let me talk about the one we're in now. So when we left Colorado, we'd been there 35 years. We had a very tight community of church we'd helped start. We worked in the community. But then we joined MTC and we had ready-made communities because in the, both of the service assignments we had, we worked with local churches and programs and, and we already had community. When we moved here in, 2000, in 2015, we didn't know anybody but our kids. In fact, I said to Phil, we better not die soon or nobody will come to our funerals. So, so we visited some, some Vancouver churches because we were trying to get a little bit closer to home, although where we lived outside of Camas, there was nothing close, but um, it just didn't click. So we decided to make the drive to PMC. Now some of you would share this feeling of walking into this church for the first time, church this size, and you don't know anybody. It was a little daunting. And we immediately knew that we needed to, to make an effort to make friends and get involved and, and build community here. So we asked the committee if, if one of the things we'd like to do is to join a small group. And they pondered some things and decided to start a new group, sort of North Enders. So there are 13 of us in the group, and we've been together now almost six years, although, of course, we don't live in the North End anymore. Um, and our first meeting, one of our people said, they don't particularly want to do a book study or a Bible study. They just want to be a social group. And since... None of the rest of us wanted to, to get involved in leadership that involved preparation. We decided that we would, our format would be that we would have a monthly potluck, alternating households, and we had the best potlucks, just saying. 
Um, and the, we would, at the host of the, the household, would, for, would come up with a question and send it out a few days ahead of time. And that would be our discussion question to give us a little bit more focus, a little more purpose. And the questions are philosophical or religious. They can be um, about growing up. They can be about the future. We even talk about politics, sometimes. Um, and even though this format developed from sort of a nod to our laziness about not wanting to, be, to take on leadership, it has turned out to be a terrific way for us to get to know each other in a deeper way than casual chit-chat. Um, sometimes our discussions are very deep and profound. Sometimes they're painful. Uh, we almost always wind up laughing a lot. Um, and one thing that we have made sure that we all feel together is that this is a safe, split, safe space place. Um, nobody will judge us for what we say, and nobody will repeat it. And that has given us a level of trust that I think has really created a community in this small group. Um, I know that I could go to anybody in the group and, and mention something that we need, and they would do it. In fact, they've actually moved us twice, although I suspect that it would not be real good if I mentioned the word move anytime soon. <laughs> um, our question for this month, which we didn't get to have because our hosts for this month were Ed and Phyllis Shirk, and they came down with COVID. So, but the question involved, what is the meaning of home? And when I was thinking about that, I thought that small groups have a lot of the same aspects that are important about home. Um, a sense of belonging, safety, uh, knowing and being known, um, a, a sense of being cared about. And I think that, that the best of small groups create that almost a sense of home for us, a little home within the bigger home. So I hope if you join a group or you add people to your group or change groups or whatever, that, that your group also becomes um, kind of really important and treasured home that ours has. So if you're interested in joining a group, you can uh, click on the QR code. Or you can talk to Kristen or Joan. Um, if you're in a group, think about making room for other folks to join your group. Um, there are a lot of other ways of uh, being uh, connected here at Portland Mennonite Church. Other groups that meet periodically. Uh, there's the adult classes that will meet at 11 this morning. Uh, quilting groups and reading groups. Shared tasks are a great way uh, to make friends doing something together. So this week we're going to start hosting families who are homeless here as part of the Family Promise Program. Sign up to be an evening host. Sign up to spend the night. You'll make some friends. Um, but... And I appreciate what Joan said. Don't forget the lesson that children teach us. Kids are great at making friends. And in large part, it's because they play together. We're busy. We're focused. We're efficient. If you want to make friends, find time to play together. Now, I'm a pastor. So in these church small groups, I love it when I hear that people are studying the Bible. I love when people read serious books together. I love when people talk deeply about their life and their faith. But leave time to play, to hang out, to waste time together. In our culture, we don't talk about friendship much, but being a friend of God, being friends to one another, being friends with the world, is how we are drawn more deeply into the kind of life together that we all hope for, the beloved community. So may it be so. Amen.